Hi there! This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the Word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's Word and the ministry of the Spirit. Supernaturally enlightened by the power of your spoken Word and the ministry of the Holy Ghost. For in Jesus' precious name we have prayed. Can we truly rejoice this morning? Hallelujah. Can we rejoice? Can we rejoice? Can we rejoice? Can we rejoice? There is a decibel I'm looking for. There is a volume I'm <laughs> There is a standard of worship. There is a standard of noise. The Bible says the Lord has gone up with a shout. <laughs> Lord, we give you praise with a shout. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. For in Jesus' precious name we are praised. How many of you know that people have been healed shouting before? Do you know? Some of you think, ah, as I'm shouting, I would affect my organs in a, you know, in a negative way. No, you're giving praise to God. You're giving praise to God. Everything improves in praise. Everything improves in praise. The Bible says it is comely. There is no disadvantage to worship. There's no disadvantage to praise. There's no disadvantage to thanksgiving. So when you scream your lungs out, your lungs are getting excited. Every part of you is getting excited and giving glory to God. So people get healed just shouting. Amen. Can we give the Lord a big shout one more time? Somebody just got healed right now, actually. Somebody just got healed. Somebody just got healed. Yes, somebody just got healed. Yes, 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 yes. Somebody just got healed. Somebody just got healed. Someone just got healed. Amen. Praise God. Do you really believe God? You know, sometimes it's important for us to confront our faith and ask, how believing are you really? Confront your faith, confront your belief, confront your convictions and ask, do you really believe God? Or you just think is a safe option, is an insurance. Do you really believe him wholeheartedly? Is he your number one and only one? Or is just in case the ones I truly believe fail, this one might work. Since I've heard a lot about him that he works. So um, in case these ones fail, he just might work. You can't walk with God like that. So if you're here, you are really not into Christ. You're really not into this faith thing. You're just, you're just trying to see how it goes. I beg of you, choose one side. Choose one side. I, I encourage you to choose Christ. And I encourage you to choose him wholeheartedly. Alright, but it's better to not choose Christ. And be sure where you have chosen. Than to be neither here nor there. The Lord said, I will spew you out of my mouth. And I feel like the word of God is coming to some people here. You are neither here nor there. You're, you're just a Christian on a Sunday morning. From Monday to Friday to Saturday, you're really not doing Christ-like things. You're not choosing Christ on a regular basis. You only choose to come to church on a Sunday because you like it here. And it's fine if you like it here and you can keep coming. But as much as possible, choose today whom you shall serve. You cannot serve two masters. You shall love one and despise another. So even when you say you are choosing both, you have actually chosen only one. You can't choose two. You can't choose two. Several years ago, I acted a drama piece. The name I had in that drama piece was Subiru. 
Amen. And in that movie, or rather in that drama piece, Amphitheater Obafemiolo University, <laughs> you know, it was a massive theater there. And I had two masters. My name was Subiru. I had a good master and I had a bad master. And so uh, the, the good master would call me and say, Subiru! Well, she didn't shout. She was the good master. So she would call me Subiru in a very calm, calm way. And I will go to the good master and she would say, Pele, have you eaten? Are you fine? Have you taken my children to school? Have you washed the dishes? Have you done the laundry? Are you okay? Um, if you have not done those things, go and do them. Eat and just rest, okay? And she'll release me. As she's releasing me, the bad master will call me and say, Ubero! And I will run in trepidation to her and then she'll say, What is wrong with you? My clothes are not ironed. My shirts are not clean. My children have not gone to school. You have not cooked. You have not swept the house. Kick me, slap me, hit me. <laughs> And then while I'm still trying to grapple on the floor with myself, as I'm leaving her presence, the good master calls me again and says, Subiru, have you done those things I said you should do? Go and do them now. And as I'm leaving her presence, the old, I mean, the bad one will call me, and the intensity and the speed of the call continue to increase after every, every call. So the first time I had some time to walk to the other side of the state before the bad one would call, as the drama piece continued to go along, I didn't have as much time anymore. So as I'm leaving one, the other one is calling. As that one is leaving, you understand, at some point they were calling me at the same time. And I, as I kept running and running to fro on the stage, I collapsed and fainted. And then in the dream, I saw a trance of an angel talking to me and saying, Oh God, you cannot serve two masters. You would either love one or despise the other. You can't love the world and Christ at the same time. The love of the world is enmity against Christ. If you love the world, you can't love Christ at the same time. It's impossible. You know, we see, we see a lot of merger and acquisitions in, in faith these days. See, I'm in Christ, but I'm merging. I'm, I'm acquiring a portion of the world. It doesn't work like that. So I encourage you. This is a charge. This is an exhortation. This is an encouragement. Choose Christ and choose him wholeheartedly. And when we say choose Christ, not with your words. Jesus said on that day, a lot of people will be saying, Lord, Lord. But he will look at them in the face and say, I never knew you. They know how to speak Christianese. They know how to say the right things. They know how to, you know, dress like Christians. But they don't do Christians. The people that were called Christians didn't speak Christianese. They did Christ. So when God, when, when the people of Antioch looked at them, they said, this person, this way this person is acting, it reminds me of a certain Christ. He's acting Christ-like. He's doing like a Christian. And that was where the name was birthed. And so Christianity is not something you feel on a form to identify with a religion. Christianity is a lifestyle. And you are not living only once in seven days. Isn't it? You are living seven days of seven days. If you stop living for one day, you are dead already. <laughs> Praise God. And so it's a lifestyle. Apply it into everything. Apply it into your thinking, into your decision making. That's the word of the Lord unto you this morning. Say, I hear. Have your seat in God's presence. Father, we give you praise. Amen. By the way, as a follow-up to that drama piece, of course, Subiru became a thing on campus. And then many people didn't recognize my face while the drama was going on because it was really far. Amphi is pretty large. So I went back to the hostel with one of my friends. At the time, I was doing pre-degree. I was doing the pre-degree then. So I was not yet a bona fide university student. So I stayed with one of my part one friends. All right. And I stayed in his, um, in his hostel. And then I slept over in his hostel. And then over the night, the guys were gisting about the drama. <laughs> and they were laughing about how I was slapped and kicked. <laughs> and then the next morning, 
you know, they just saw my face. Ah, now the Subaru did this. <laughs> it was really hilarious. It was quite funny. Subaru. I think it's a car model, right? Is it, is it Subaru? That's Subaru. Okay, okay. That, that's fine. <laughs> Amen. Are you ready for God's word this morning? Amen. Amen. So this morning, I, I hope to teach what the Lord has laid in my heart as gift manual. The gift manual. The gift manual. Um, for some reason, my voice is not necessarily at its optimum, perhaps because of the video. <laughs> we had an, is it eight plus hours of prayers and the word, and it was quite an interesting time. If you're not part of the DC, you're missing a lot. There's so many things that we can't share here, and it's just the reality of ministry. There's some things I can't see here on this platform on a Sunday morning, but many of these things we can share them on you know, a Friday vigil with the DC enclosed workers, the disciples, and share these things. At such meetings, we teach for four hours, five hours. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. As a disciple, you need to learn to love the word. All right? Many of us spend four or five hours a day on social media. You may not even know it, but that's how much you spend. In fact, you may need to go and get an app that monitors your time on social media so you can evaluate how much time you are really investing and spending and when you are not necessarily reaping anything from your spending it's no longer investment so you're not investing it in social media you're just spending it on social media and there's there's no return on it but when you spend time in the word of God and prayer you didn't lose that time did you hear what I just said whenever you spend quality time in the word of God and in prayer you didn't lose that time <laughs> Bible says how you redeem the time is by prayers you redeem the times. Praise God. Hallelujah. And so, um, if you're not part of the DC, I encourage you to get into the cohort three so that you can be part of the workforce and get into some deeper things. Get into some discipleship. All right. There were some things that Jesus couldn't tell the multitude, isn't it? He couldn't tell them when he was talking to the 5,000, to the 3,000. And then it is, the parables he shared to them because he doesn't want them to know it anyways. That's why we shared to them in parables, but the, because they didn't even have the capacity to understand the things they were saying. So those are the things that the apostles and the disciples will come later on to ask him. What did you mean by that parable you shared to the multitude? And then he will start explaining to them, opening it up to them and saying to them that it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom and to others it's not and so until you press into the deeper things of God there's some hidden things you will read the Bible you will not understand because you're not yet a disciple praise the name of the Lord so it is only at the level of discipleship that the Holy Ghost will start opening up some dimensions of scripture to you things will always be very surface and general to you if you're not yet a disciple you just know the basics the generals you can't become a specialist Disciples are specialists. They know the real thing. They know the root of that word. They understand the many, the manifold dimensions of that strand of revelation. Because they ask the Holy Ghost, what does this thing mean? Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. So the gift manual. So the last three installments, they've been so powerful. And I encourage you to listen to them over and over again. Share it with your friends and company as well. Because they're doing a lot of... Um, damage to the kingdom of darkness and a lot of good to the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. So when it comes to the gift manual, what, what we're trying to explain this morning is pretty much how you handle the gift of God. Amen. Can you hear me very well? Because my voice <laughs> is sounding very coarse to me. Amen. So um, 
how do you handle the gift of God? You know, a manual is like a guideline of application, right? So this thing you have, if you have a manual with it, you had better check the manual, even though most Nigerians don't. <laughs> Nobody wants to check the manual. We just want to get about dabbling and trying to troubleshoot and see if it works or not. But it's good to check the manual. So the manual tells you the steps to take and the best way this thing has been designed to operate. So when it comes to your gift as well, you need a manual. You need something that informs you as to how the gift of God upon your life will operate. For some of you, you've always doubted whether you were gifted. Stop doubting it. You are gifted. You're gifted. You have an incredible gift from God. This is not something that the Babala will give. God gave you a gift. And Bible says a gift is precious. Wow. Whithersoever it turns, it's precious. It's precious. So don't ever doubt that you are not gifted. Don't ever question the validity of the gift of God upon your life. You are gifted. Look at yourself in the mirror every day and say, wow, what a gift. What a gift. What a gift. You're gifted. You're a solution to a problem in the world. You are an answer to a question. You are gifted, sir. You are gifted, man. Tell your neighbor you're gifted. You're gifted. You're so gifted. That the challenge is development. The challenge is materialization. The challenge is entering into the office. But that you're called and gifted, it's not in question. You're gifted. Bible says you were wrought in the hidden part of the earth. Wow. You were wrought. Praise God. You were not done in a public square. You were wrought in the hidden part of the earth. And sometimes you have to go into the hidden part of God to find yourself. Because you were not wrought in public space. You're wrought in the hidden parts. And so sometimes before you locate that self, you have to go deep to go, to, into God to find those things that are written concerning you, the deep things of God. Your purpose, your calling, they're not in the shallow ends of God. They're in the deep parts of God. And only by the Holy Ghost can you come into that realization of these deep things. Praise the name of the Lord. And so this gift that is upon your life, there is a way to handle it. There is a way to go about the materialization, the expression, the development, and the manifestation of the gift of God upon your life. Praise the name of the Lord. And so the first thing you need to understand, I'll be sharing with you six key equipment or tools or six things in that manual, six instructions that you need to pay so much attention to. Amen. And then we'll begin to explore the evangelist. I don't know if I would have the time, but we'll talk about the evangelist towards the end of this teaching. Last week we talked about who? The apostle and the prophet. Remember I said the apostle is this guy. Amen. He's this guy because he can touch on all the other four very easily. The apostle at some point in his ministry will be an evangelist because he would have to evangelize a group of people then begin to disciple them in teaching and pastoring. Praise God. And then he would need to release utterance over them that will move them to the next level. That is prophetic in nature. And so an apostle to a certain degree flows in all these five gifts without necessarily making a permanent abode in any of them. So he's a roving minister. So that's an apostle. So he touches on all these dimensions. This is the prophet. I didn't mention that last week. This is the prophet. He's always warning and directing. That's how you warn and direct. All right, by pointing to someone. I'm warning you because the prophet is bold, he's fierce. He's not afraid of anybody's face. He's able to challenge dogmas and stereotypes. Elijah just showed up 
from nowhere and began to challenge Ahab and Jezebel in the land of Israel. They had turned the people's heart against God for so long. And so God developed a product called Elijah to circumvent and make sure that that movement does not prosper. And so Elijah was that product because we don't know anything about the guy. The guy just showed up from the blues. He just showed up. Elijah the Tishbite, he spoke to Ahab and said, by my word, it will not rain in this land for the next three and a half years. In fact, he didn't actually put the years there. He just said it will not rain until I say otherwise. It eventually lasted for three and a half years. All right? So usually prophets are bold, ferocious, and just all about doing the will of God and speaking the word of God. So they are there for direction and for warnings. And the Bible talks about how it's by prophets that the Lord took the children of Israel out of Egypt and it was by, prophet, by a prophet that they were preserved. And so there are some things in your life that a systematic approach cannot answer the problems. A systematic day-to-day principle abiding methods cannot do the work you need. You need a prophetic utterance. Prophetic utterances can change things overnight. You see, prophets are really powerful people. And that's why I said some things about them last week, how they spend a lot of time praying and, you know, just hearing God. Look, look at how Isaiah, for example, he went to tell Ezekiah, prepare your house, you're about to die and all of that. And then right there in the court of, that, of, the, of the king, the Lord told him again, go back. Imagine if he was not online. That means prophets have to stay online forever. And so usually they are very eccentric people. They don't have so much time for carnal conversations. They spend more time with the angels than human beings. <laughs> All right, so they warn. And so today we'll be talking about the evangelist. That's towards the end anyways. So the evangelist beckons. He calls. He's a beckoner. He calls. He calls. And usually if you check your hand, they are the tallest because they usually have the highest fruits of ministry. So it is in the evangelistic ministry that you find the highest demonstration of the power of God in miracles, signs, wonders, healings of all kinds. They don't stress. It just happens. They don't have to say anything. It just happens in their ministry. Go check out all the evangelistic ministries of people like Rad Bunky, um, Colenda now, his, his successor, and several other notable evangelists of all time. Um, of course, Billy Graham was an evangelical who didn't really believe in signs and wonders, so he didn't have as much of those expressions in his own ministry. But for the Pentecostal and charismatic evangelists, they experienced quite a lot of wonders and miracles in their ministry. You see a lot of crazy miracles. You know, um, wheelchairs, crutches, flying in the air in their crusades, blind eyes opening, deaf ears unstopped, dumb speaking. Powerful stuff happening because that is evangelistic. All right, miracles are the PR system of God. Amen. That's how he calls people to pay attention to Christ. He uses signs and wonders. And because the evangelist is at the forefront of that calling, so he is equipped with signs, wonders, and miracles. All right. I believe it's in either 1 Corinthians or Romans chapter 8. Bible was referring to evangelists and what he used was workers of miracles. He didn't use the word evangelist. He used the word workers of miracles because evangelists have that specialty in working miracles. Amen. All right, I've said bulk of what I was going to say at the end, but I think that was good for our consumption. So usually they are the tallest. And so you see someone like Rad Bonke, over the 79 years of his existence, he harvested about 79 million souls unto the Lord. 79 million is no small feat. All right, so they're usually very passionate about souls. And then we have the pastor, the love finger. He's the lover. He's the shepherd. Amen. And we have these other guys, the teacher. We'll get into them. By God's grace, next week. Oh, well, maybe not next week. Pastor Yinka will be bringing us God's word next week. <laughs> Hallelujah. 
Amen and amen. So, the first thing I'd like to share with you, in the gift manual, the Lord has ordained for you to be compliant with in the manifestations of the gifts of the spirit, your spiritual gift, and any other kind of gift that God has blessed you with, is that you need to connect with a mentor. Write it down. Connect with a mentor. These are the things in your gift manual. That is, do not attempt to use your gift without visiting the manual. All right? Do not attempt to use your gift without visiting the manual. That's the challenge with a lot of people when it comes to their gifts. They do not think they need a mentor in the alignment of their gifts with their destiny. There is a human vessel. There is a human vessel God has ordained, appointed, and anointed to lead you into destiny. A human vessel. Despising that human vessel is despising your destiny. There is a human vessel. This is not the Holy Ghost. This is not Jesus Christ. This is not the Father. He's a person. He has flaws and weaknesses, but he's a person. That person is a gatekeeper. He's a doorkeeper. If you despise him, there is a level of ministry and manifestation you will never experience. You have to connect with the mentor. The challenge a lot of times for believers, especially the gifted ones, is that they exalt the power of their gift over the power of relationships. They say, I don't need to be holy. I don't need to, be, to have character. I don't need to be able to manage relationships. I don't need to have integrity. I don't need to know how to keep relationships. As long as I'm gifted, I would always have the platform. It's a lie. It's a lie. And you need to understand that. You need to connect to the mentor. Look at what happened in the life of Esther, for example. It's important to connect to the mentor. And sometimes you are more influential, affluential, and even more gifted than your mentor. But it's your mentor. <laughs> And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. So as far as you are concerned, you have exalted him higher than your status. And so Mordecai was only a gatekeeper and was not even her uncle, if you read it well. He was only her cousin. But she subjected herself to his leadership. That even when she became a queen, she still had an ear for him. He could rebuke her from outside the courts. He could rebuke her from outside the palace. He could rebuke her from wherever he was. As a gatekeeper, as a low peasant farmer, whatever he was, he was not as affluential as Esther, but Esther subjected herself to his leadership and submitted to it. Some people, they say they only submit to people that are better, bigger. What are your parameters of measuring those things? So because your, your mentor has 2,000 followers, you have 20,000 followers, he can no longer be your mentor. You have outgrown his mentorship. You need a mentor to align with your destiny. There is a man called Pat S.G. Elton. That man lit the candles of most, if not all, the firebrand men of God on this side of the divide. That is in Nigeria today, most of the people you call men of God, great men of God, legendary men of God, submitted to his leadership. He stayed in Elisha. He probably lived in a very modest home or apartment. He was a white man, by the way. God sent him to Nigeria and he lit the candles of so many people. He prophesied about NYSC. S.G. Elton, strong man. Go and read about him. He was a prophet. And so every man that is doing ministry today in Nigeria ate from him. They went to visit him. They had him as mentors. All right? Had him as a mentor. They had the ministry of millions. He had probably just a few, but those few <laughs> were firebrands. Praise the name of the Lord. And so Esther was willing to submit to the leadership of Mordecai in spite of Mordecai's economic status. She was willing to submit. Because at some point, she began to get distracted and complacent in the palace. She needed somebody to call her to order. No matter how far and how high you grow in life, you become the president of this country, you become the biggest man of God out of Africa, you must have somebody that can call you at short notice and say, come here now, and you show up. 
Never get to that point where as you are growing in rank, you're also changing mentors like clothes. Say, no, this one is no longer on my level. No. There is a human vessel God has anointed, ordained, and appointed for your alignment in destiny. As anointed as Moses was, God did not tell him he's fully when he was trying to counsel three million Jews at the same time. The Holy Ghost didn't tell him. This is the man that confronted Pharaoh. If you confront Pharaoh, you are anointed. He confronted Pharaoh, left Pharaoh with three million Jews, let them, not one person died. No casualty. Short, perfect exit. He broke out that kind of a deal with the most dangerous man on the planet at the time. He had such effrontery to confront the power of the day. And he got to the wilderness and he was foolish. Trying to consult and counsel three million Jews at the same time. The Holy Ghost didn't warn him. God didn't tell him. He didn't have a vision or revelation. A man told him, you will die if you continue at this rate. You will kill yourself and you will weary the people. Select men, structures, wisdom, counsel. Some of these things will not come from the Holy Ghost. They will come only from a mentor. So imagine as gifted as Moses was, he would have died early without the contribution and insights from a human vessel. So Jethro gave him that counsel and his life was preserved. So there are some people that are cutting short in their gifting, in their destiny, in, their, in, their, in the manifestation of the call of God upon their life. Not because they are no longer anointed, but because they had no ear for someone. Do you know throughout Samson's life, there was nobody he listened to. There was not one single person he listened to. Not his father. Apart from a woman. And for the wrong reasons. Praise the name of the Lord. And so it's important you understand this. Connect with a mentor. Have someone that can speak over your life. It stabilizes you in a very unusual way. Pastor Yemi Davis will tell you his life is a product of the prophetic utterances from Bishop David Oyedepo. These are the things. I tell you the truth, I won't be here without human vessels. I was just a part two boy just trying to make ends meet on campus. When one of my mentors just saw that this guy has the gift of God upon his life and gave a platform to me. And then the same man negotiated my way into becoming pastor of castle. Now imagine if I was not pastor of castle, I wouldn't have brought pastor Dele to castle. I wouldn't have met pastor Dele. Because you see, you, you need to understand that your gifting is tied to men. Men will be the one to recommend you in the seat of power. Men will be the one to give you opportunities and platform. If you don't have a mentor that can speak for you where you are not there, you are missing on a lot of things. So this man, I, was, I couldn't have spoken for myself, but this man negotiated my way into platforms and opportunities of leadership. And because of him, I could now connect with someone in the capacity of a spiritual father. And so if I begin to belittle connections and say, what do you, he's not as anointed, he's not as gifted, he cannot preach like me, he cannot quote scripture like me, and I begin to have this shoulder problem, I will not assume my office. And so this office you're talking about will not come on a platter of gold, it will come on a platter of relationships. God will not just anoint you and say, come here, come and sit on top of the head of several people without having connections with men. You must be able to manage relationships intelligently. Do you have mentors, people that can call you to order? First thing, connect with a mentor. Your gift is not designed to, you know, you know, flourish all by itself. You need people that will believe in you. You need people that will counsel you, strategically give you insights. My first opportunity to preach in Castle, I remember I was sharing with the leaders on Friday. I taught a powerful sermon, preached the storm, praise God. 
you know, after the service, people came in their droves. Wow, what a word, powerful stuff. Thank you, sir. Wow, I wish I could listen to it. You know why people want to finish your career? And they'll begin to plant pride inside you. So, wow, why don't you preach often? Imagine, they'll come and tell you, why don't you preach often? I'll go and tell pastor. He needs to give you more opportunities. What kind of a person is this? <laughs> so, of course, they'll come, they'll shower you all the, you know, accolades and honor and all of that. But I, there was one man I was looking for his accolade. I was looking for my pastor's, you know, recommendation and commendation. He was the one that gave me that platform. So, sir, what would you say? So I went to the meeting and then after service and then he told everybody to sit down and then he told me to stand up. So <laughs> I stood up with grace. Hallelujah. That this man is about to commend me in front of many witnesses. Only for him to rebuke me. And he didn't rebu- rebuke me about the teaching. He rebuked me about something I did one week ago. So why didn't you say it that time? He said, this is a bad time to say it. But that was where he chose to say it. Ah, the thing broke me down. He humbled me. After preaching a powerful sermon, I was expecting some, you know, commendation. He didn't say anything that day or that evening. So after the dust had settled, he called me later in the evening. And he gave his own personal commendation concerning the teaching, which was very good anyways. But he did that for a reason. So that I don't get lifted up in pride and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Bible talks about this in Timothy. That he says, do not put a novice in office lest he be lifted up in pride and fall into the condemnation of the devil. He was trying to manage it. Fathers are not quick to give commendation sometimes. Because they don't want it to get into your head. So he allowed every other person whose commendation didn't weigh much to go ahead of him. And then his own commendation that weighed the highest, he now gave it last. At that time, I'd, I'd already, you know, consecrated my heart, repented, felt bad. So by the time he gave it to me, it was encouraging, it was edifying, it was strengthening, it was balanced. Praise the name of the Lord. So imagine I didn't have that kind of a mentor at that time who gave me that platform. From then on, I began to teach more often and then I became the pastor after him. If he had not given me that platform, if he had had a vendetta against me, if he started feeling like this guy was proud, he's not willing to submit, he would not listen to someone, he wouldn't have given me that platform. And without that platform, I wouldn't have been doing what I'm doing right now. And so this gift you're talking about, this calling, this anointing, this spiritual gift, the grace of God upon your life, it needs your wisdom in relationships. To materialize, to come to fruition. Stop, stop living your life as a loner. Stop living your life as someone who oh, you only need yourself. You don't need only yourself. You need people to speak over you from a pedestal, from a place that is higher. I know we are in a generation where people just like to take decisions by themselves. I don't need to talk to anybody. I don't need a mentor. I don't need a father. Oh, I'm fine. I can Google stuff. Google has a limitation. Google has a limitation. Some things a father will see on his seat, you will not see if you climb. Burj Khalifa, you won't see it. You won't see it. Why? Because you see, in his mouth is the word that will lift you to the next level. When the, the demise and the departure of Saul from the throne start, when he began to despise someone he once revered, at some point in Saul's life, he couldn't look at Samuel in the face. Ah, do you know what Samuel meant? Samuel was not a man, he was an institution. Bible says they would say in the cities, Samuel is coming. He's coming to Gilgal. Everybody in the town will arrange themselves. Perhaps he just walks by their house. He just walks past your house. Your house is holy. He didn't enter. So imagine how Jesse must have felt that Samuel entered into his house. What honor. What grace. 
Saul could not look at Samuel in the face. By the time he was going to be ordained king, Saul was hiding in the sheep. He couldn't come forward. He was that shy and in fear, anxious that who am I to look and behold this man's face and receive a crown from his hand? This was the institution called Samuel. And that this same Samuel was going to make a sacrifice and you usurped him. He was ordained to be the one to make that sacrifice. You are not a priest, you are a king. Why would you usurp the priest that ordained you into office? If he stays three years, you wait there for those three years until he shows up. You don't get in a hurry and start feeling like, oh, this man should just come. At least I'm king. I'm the executive authority of this land. You are not the spiritual authority. And so he, he got matters into his hands and he began to sacrifice. And then did another wrong thing again. At some point, he taught the garment of the one who is supposed to refer. And that's the challenge sometimes. We begin to despise the people we used to revere. And that's where we begin to go down the slope of destruction. Because that's what happened to Saul. Connect with a mentor. Get someone who can speak over you and maintain that honor. Maintain that honor because Saul, that didn't happen overnight. He used to honor Samuel. He used to love Samuel. He used to revere Samuel. Now Samuel is just another priest in the land. Samuel is just another guy wasting his time. Samuel is just a guy that he can disobey and be lying to Samuel in his face and say, I did not disobey. What? Praise the name of the Lord. Even if you lie to some people, there are some people in your life you cannot lie to. You cannot. You don't have the liver. Praise the name of the Lord. But Saul destroyed all the standards in his life. And so even when he was going down the slope, nobody could save him. Praise God. Amen. Amen. So get a mentor. Number two, detach from your gift. You see, this is instructive. This is instructive. Detach from your gift. Sometimes the reason why people get destroyed in the path of purpose and destiny is because they have over-identified with their gifts. As far as they're concerned, they are their gifts. No, you're not the gifts. You are not your gift. The gift is an equipment. Don't over-identify and attach with your gift. Because what happens when you over-identify and attach with your gift is that whatever happens to the gift happens to you. So the day you don't perform, you will slump into depression. The day something happens on the faith lane or in office, the day you have a bad day in office. You know, there, there are bad days in office, praise God. One day they called me to come and rebuke a devil and send him out of a guy. I got there. Yes, the devil respected me. He, he honored me. But I left the devil in the guy. I didn't cast him out. Because it was a bad day in office for me. I was still learning some of these things. Imagine I left there feeling like, oh my God. That means I'm not a, I'm not a man of God again. I, I'm not a pastor. See, listen. Once you overattach your identity to your gift. A performance, you know, uh, blunder in that line of calling. Will impact on your emotions and may even depress you. Look at Ahitophel. Ahitophel was a gift to Israel. God gifted Ahitophel to the kings. Kai, not one single counsel went south if it came from the mouth of Ahitophel. Not one. If he gave you a counsel, take it to the bank. It will work. Even if he did not hear, once he says it, it becomes the right answer. He was that anointed. And even when he said something that he didn't think was accepted, he was still not wrong. Only that the lying spirit came from the presence of God and turned his counsel to foolishness in the ears of Absalom. 
Kai. So even when he thought he was wrong, he was still not wrong. To tell you how anointed and gifted he was. But just because he perceived himself to have had a bad day in office, he couldn't continue to live. As far as Aitufe was concerned, he was the oracle of God. And that's a very lofty place to put yourself. If you fall from there, you can't survive it. Can you fall from that lofty height? How can you? you are not the oracle of God. You're a prophet, yes. But you, you are not infallible. You can give some pro. You can give some prophecies that will not come to pass. Give yourself that permission. You're also growing in your office. By the time you identify too much with your calling and with your gift, whatever happens to that gift, happens to your emotions, happens to your mind, happens to your identity, happens to your self-esteem and your worth, you begin to feel meaningless. Look at Elijah. Look at John the Baptist. They defined themselves too much by their calling and their gifting. So much so that a bad day in office ruined their lives. They couldn't continue. Ahitophel said, it's okay. There is no point living as a normal human being. Except I'm in the office of the counselor to the kings. If I cannot occupy this office, I would rather not occupy life. He took his life and killed himself. So don't overattach your identity and your worth. Do you think it's every time I come to preach here, I live feeling good? There are times I preach in the sermon, I'm like, but what, kilo somber, you know? <laughs> The thing you said there, you could have said it better. You know, you didn't quote this scripture well. You didn't quote this one well. Some of you may not notice these things, but I put myself under the scope, under the lens, and I just check what did that. And so sometimes I don't feel good about what I said or preached. Sometimes. But if I get bogged down by that, I won't preach again. I'll say, no, 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 don't call me again. I don't know how to preach. I don't know how to preach. I will continue to condemn myself. I will fall into the condemnation of the devil. Don't overattach your identity with your gift. Your gift is an equipment. It's not you. You are a child of God. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. These realities will never age on the faith lane. You have to continue to remind yourself of these things. Even though sometimes you don't have a good day in office. Listen, you are always a good child of God. It doesn't matter how the official duties went. It doesn't matter sometimes. We're all growing. We're all growing. I'm not there yet. I'm still growing. Paul, what did he say? I, I'm trying to apprehend. He never got to finish apprehending. He's always trying to apprehend that for which he was apprehended. So you don't get to a point where you just feel, I've arrived and now I'm infallible. Ah, no, I'm infallible. Nothing can happen. Nothing can go wrong. Detach from your gift. Define yourself apart from your gift. Apart from your office. Some people take their church, their pastoring from them. You've taken their lives. They've overattached their personality to the church. So if you ask them, who are you? They first define themselves by their calling. You're a child of God. You're a son of God. You have a relationship with God before you had a JD. Do you understand? So don't overdefine yourself by your JD. You have a relationship with God. If anything goes wrong with your JD, you still are a son in the house. Don't get to... It's your work. Do the work. But you are a child of God. Sometimes the work can become a collateral damage, but it will save you. Ah, do you understand? If things go bad and he takes you out of the office, he won't take you out of his life. He will take you out of the office to save you. That's what he did with Moses. You can no longer occupy this office, but I will still save you on the last day. Because you have a relationship with me beyond that office. So you need to learn to detach yourself from the gift, the calling, the anointing. Yes, it's powerful. Yes, it's important for you to have that sense of conviction about what God has called you to do. But don't overdefine and attach yourself to that thing. 
Because as you grow in ministry, grow in your offices, you may make mistakes. You may have off days. You may say some things that you will not be proud of. But don't fall into the condemnation of the devil. Because it won't emphasize all the times you did well. It would emphasize that one time you didn't do well. And it will continue to hammer it on your head. Ram it into your head. You are not good enough. I, I told you, you are never a prophet. This one I had, yeah, you were never a prophet. It was just hit and miss. You were just getting it. It was luck. You eat prophet. You, it will make you feel so bad. You will never prophesy again. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. So number one, connect with the mentor. Number two, detach from your gifts. Number three, pay little attention to your side mirrors. Pay little attention to your side mirrors. There is a reason why the side mirrors are smaller than the normal screen. Right? It's an, indica it's an indication of how often you should look at it. Have you ever seen someone driving at a fast speed looking at the side mirrors? It doesn't happen. You drive faster. No matter how fast you are driving, looking at the side mirrors, you will drive faster looking forward. Praise the name of the Lord. And there's a reason why the screen in front of you is wider, larger than your side mirrors. What do your side mirrors show you? Your past. The things that have happened in the past. What did Paul say in Philippians 3 that we referenced last week? Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are ahead of me. I press towards the mark of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. Do you see that? And so it's important that you understand that. Do not pay too much attention to your side mirrors. Why? Because there are two things you need to not pay attention, all right, when it comes to your side mirrors. Number, number one, your past mistakes. And number two, your past success. Those two things can hinder you on the path of destiny. I just talked about your past mistakes now in the context of the second option or the second uh, instruction about detaching from your gift because there will be days you will make mistakes so in the same vein in a bit to stop looking too much at your side mirrors there will be days you didn't do so well you need to stop staying there move on move on look at Paul some things Paul said it almost felt like it was dyslexic why would you say this you he says, receive us. 2 Corinthians 7 2. Receive us. We have wronged no man. Eh? Eh? You? You did more than wrong men. You wronged the church. He says, we have wronged no man. He must have believed what he wrote in 2 Corinthians 5 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. On your path in purpose, in your office, the biggest challenge for anyone to operate in the gift of God is condemnation. The devil would always bring it across you. He would always bring it your way. He would always come and sell the market over and over and over again. One day he would hope you will buy it. He would, so you, you must never leave the path of reiterating and confessing your righteousness in Christ Jesus. So he's not, I, I was once the righteous. No, you continually confess it. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because even Jesus, he was only left for a season. There were other times the devil came again. He came in Peter. He came in other people. Praise the name of the Lord. That was not the only time he tempted Jesus. He left him for a season. And so if you didn't fall into the condemnation today, he will come back tomorrow. If you don't fall this week, he will come back next week. If you don't fall this month, he will come back next month. And what would it paint in front of you? Your past errors, your past mistakes, the things you didn't do too well. 
past mistakes and past success. The difference between Judas and Peter. Peter did worse than Judas. At least Judas even kissed Jesus. What he did was to betray Jesus. He betrayed Jesus. Peter denied Jesus. There is a world of difference. It's a lot easier to forgive someone that betrayed you because you would say it's condition. Ah, maybe he needed the money. But someone, I never knew him. I said, ah, <laughs> I never knew him. I've never seen him before. Who is Jesus? And the mistake, he will, by, 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 he will deliberately mispronounce Jesus. <laughs> Just to prove that, what was his name again? The same Jesus he stayed with, slept with, traveled together. This same Jesus, you deny him. But Peter moved on. Judas couldn't move on. Judas couldn't move on. He was stuck there. He couldn't receive forgiveness. He couldn't repent. He killed himself. Praise the name of the Lord. So both of them made mistakes. One moved on, the other didn't. Do you forgive yourself? Who, who, who mentioned that in the last teaching? Was it Pastor Mike or yeah, Pastor Mike mentioned it? Learn to forgive yourself. Just forgive yourself. Hug yourself. Pat yourself in the back. Say it's okay. Move on. It's okay. Because guess what? The real target of the devil is your future. Hey. Listen. So how it will tie you from ensuring that you don't arrive at that future is to connect you with your past. So it will tell you you can't arrive at that future because you're not worthy. Your past condemns you. So you need to understand that the past has happened. His interest is not really in the past. Hi. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's not really concerned about what has happened in the past. He's only using it as a weapon to ensure you don't arrive at the future. Because the future is the threat to him and his kingdom. If he allows you to continue to move in this line, you will become a threat to his kingdom. So he will forever continue to tie you to what you have done in the past. His status in heaven is the accuser of the brethren. That is what they call him in the corridors of heaven. He's the accuser of the brethren. So what he will constantly begin to do is to record every failure you have ever recorded in life. He will be recording it. He will remind you. Haven't you noticed you remember the things you didn't do well? Way better. The memory is sharper than the things you did well. You have more good days than bad days. But the bad days just overwhelm the good ones. Because the devil will continually paint it in your mind. You are not good enough. So learn to move on. Pay little attention to your sadness. Yes, you need to sometimes pay attention. Learn from the past. Learn the insights and the lessons that the Lord wants you to have. All right, by paying attention to some things you did wrong. Ask for counsel. Ask from a mentor. How should I have done this better? Ask the Holy Spirit for counsel and guidance. So I'm not saying ignore, but pay little attention. Don't dwell there. Also on your past success, because your past success can give you a delusion that you are perfect and infallible. It may begin to make you feel like you are just the immortal, invisible, the only wise God on your path of purpose. That was Samson's problem. He never got a consequence a lot. Hi. He never got the consequence a lot. There was nothing that showed him that he was on the wrong path. Everything he touched was gold. He would fornicate like this. Fornicate. Carry gate. Uh-uh. He will finish fornicating like this. As he's leaving the brothel, he will carry someone's gate and go up a mountain with gate on his shoulder. 
if at least the gate did not get uprooted, maybe he would have felt, ah, what happened to my powers? What did I do wrong? Maybe he would have gone back to the secret place to ask, how come this power is waning? Not a single consequence alert. All the time, it was a success story. All the time. Carried the job over and asked, killed thousands. What kind of a man is this? Not one single flaw. So he was living under that delusion. I can't be wrong. Twice they bound you. Twice they asked you, what is the secret of your power? Shouldn't your sense have told you? What is this girl's plan? He did not assume that he could be broken. He did not assume that he had a flaw. He felt there was no kryptonite <laughs> to his superpowers. And he knew that this thing is my hair. He knew he had one. But he just felt as long as his hair is there, forget it. And at some point, he started to even imagine that even when the hair is gone, forget it. I will still be strong. See, so I will just rise up and I will dust myself. And I will twice. The lady continued to press him. And on the third occasion, he gave it up. Assuming that, forget it, I will still be strong. So listen, your past success, if they're not reviewed through the lens of correction, through the lens of the Holy Ghost, through mentorship. Look at that night, for example, it was a success. I preached a good teaching. I should have been commended. But my pastor, in the spirit of wisdom, rebuked me about something that was disconnected to that night. So that it would balance my head. As people were inflating it with their praises, he used that to balance it back to normal. You need to be balanced. Praise God. So your success can become a delusion to you. So you see some people, they are stuck in the past of success. They've never done anything bigger than what they did before. They've not done it. Ah, in the good old days. Ah, when I was, when I was. What have you done since that time? They, they can't find it. They are stuck. The best purpose of your success and your mistakes is to use it as a stepping stone to the future. Once you stick there, it becomes destructive. Whether success or failure, it becomes destructive. Failure can become a stepping stone. Success can also become a hindrance. Did you hear me? So it's all about perspective. How do you use those things? Pay little attention to your side mirrors. Side mirrors of failure, side mirrors of success. Pay little attention to them. Because when you don't pay attention to your future and you concentrate on your failure or your success, those things would hinder your movement in the path of destiny. Samson died. Judas died. Peter became the bishop of the church. Praise the name of the Lord. And so the fullness of that gift will not materialize if you get stuck in the past. If you get stuck in the past. Yes, it's good to reference your campus days, but move on from it. Move on from it. What are the greater things you have done since you left campus? That's what you should be asking yourself. No, when I was on campus, I was there, I was there, I was there. Since then, what happened in your life? What happened in your spiritual life? How did your spiritual trajectory, how did it grow? Or it's just that whenever they ask you your last miracle, your last testimony, you always referenced 2008. When I was, ah, you must have current form. You know what is form in football? They don't buy you based on what you did. What's your form? Hey, this is a good illustration. Praise God. It's your form that matters. It does not matter what you did three, four, five years ago. Ah, you were the Ballon d'Or. Ah, you were the Pichichi. Ah, whatever it is, what is your current form? That's what determines your value. That's what determines your market exchange. That's what determines what they will pay for you in the marketplace. 
So when God looked, when God looks at you, what is looking for your obedience form? He's looking for your form right now. He's not asking for what you did before. He, he knows what you did now. He, he did it through you. So he's not, he doesn't have amnesia. He knows exactly what you did. But when he questions you on what have you done recently and you can't find anything, you're stuck already in the past. You're stuck. Move beyond those things. Pay little attention to your side mirrors. Amen. Praise God. The fourth thing I'd like to share with you today is that personalized weapons or, as, or rather personalized gifts can be weaponized. Wow. These are the things to pay attention to on your path in destiny. As you start to fulfill the call of God upon your life, these are the things to pay attention to. Listen, don't personalize your gifts. Remember I said detach. This is also a variant of that, but it's a little different. Do not personalize your gift. When you personalize your gift, you make your will the governor of the gift. Because the gift of God is without repentance. God will never really remove the gift from you. Huh? He will never really remove the gift from you. But you must never personalize the gift. So God gives you a gift. Expect you to dedicate it back to him. That's the process. He does not give you a gift and you just carry the gift and move on. And No, that's not how God expects you to respond to the gift. When he gives you a gift, you carry the gift in thanksgiving to him. Dedicate it back to him. When you dedicate it, what you are telling God is this. Even though it's a gift you have given me, I will consult you for how it must be administered. I will consult you for how it must be used. This is what happened to Balaam. Balaam was a prophet of God, but he was going to use the prophetic utterance upon his life to curse the people of God for money. <laughs> that same gift, because he personalized it, he now began to use it for his own will. So if your will is not consecrated, you will, be, you will become a weapon in the hand of the devil. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you do not consecrate your will to God and say, no matter how gifted I ever become, I will always consult you to tell me how I should use this gift. You will carry that gift and you will use it to, you will use it as a weapon against the people of God that you are supposed to serve. So God called you as a prophet to the people of Israel. You carried that prophetic office and anointing to curse them. Seven times you attempted it. You realized that it didn't work. You carried your prophetic wisdom. So counsel Balak and said, if you do it this way, do it this way, do it this you will kill 24,000 people. The people I can't curse, you will destroy them. Because of the insight of Balaam, do you know how powerfully successful that counsel was? There's no enchantment against Jacob. There's no divination against Israel. God has spoken, he will not return. He has not cursed, he has not found any issue with Israel. This is what Balaam said in his attempt to curse the people of God. And then he realized that this book cannot be cursed. So what did he do? He gave a counsel that heaven recognized as the doctrine of Balaam. He says, beware of the doctrine of Balaam. And so, because he had personalized that gift, once you personalize that gift, the devil can weaponize the gift. Understand that. So there are people today, because they have the gift of oratory, huh? they have the gift of oratory, they manipulate people. So what was supposed to be a gift to serve has become a gift to exploit. 
It has become a weapon rather to exploit. So this is what causes prophets who God anointed really as prophets to begin to use their prophecies to solicit for money. Pastors who God ordained to be pastors to begin to use their influence to sleep with some people in their churches. To take advantage. So whenever you personalize your gift and you don't subject it to the leadership of the Holy Ghost, that gift can become a weapon. I hope you understand this part. So yes, it's the gift of God for you, with you, in you. But don't ever personalize it. Always ask the giver of the gift, how must this gift be administered? How should I use this gift? Because even when Balaam was right in the wrong, he was still prophesying. This guy could still hear God. God was still talking to him. God was still leading. He was still prophesying the word of God. Numbers 23 were filled with the words that Balaam spoke. And nothing could be truer than the things that Balaam said in Numbers 23. God is not a man that he should lie. He's in Numbers 23. Balaam spoke these words out of his mouth. He spoke the words of God. But his heart was already corrupted. And that heart weaponized the gift. So if your heart is not consecrated, your will is not consecrated to God, eventually the devil will weaponize that gift that God gave you for the service of the people. He will weaponize it for the destruction of the same people. So don't personalize the gift of God upon your life. The Bible calls it the calling of God. It's not your call. It's not your gift. It's the gift of God upon you. It's the call of God upon you. It's the office that God has called you into. Don't personalize it. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. You see, that's what makes people commercialize gifts today. Because it's there, so they just they use it. And I'm talking about just secular stuff. Spiritual gifts, people begin to commercialize it. So when I pray for people, things happen in their lives. So they become family pastors. And they begin to commercialize the gift of God upon them. For Bible says they have love for filled liquor. They have, their, their God is their belly. So everything they do that is spiritually inclined is for their own gain and benefit. Hallelujah. Beware of such people. Yes, God ordained them. God called them initially. But now their hearts are perverted. What did Absalom do? The beauty God gave him, he perverted it. This guy, Bible says, there was no spot on him from head to toe. You will not find a finer man than Absalom. Ah, you can't find it. I mean, is anybody here? No spot on you. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. Bible says, not one spot. And then his hair was long. Ah! Someone is fantasizing already. Oh, Absalom. Absalom. <laughs> And they are dreaming of Bible says he was spotless. What did he use that gift for? Because guess what? Your beauty is a gift. What was the gift God gave Esther to enter into the palace in the preservation of the Jews? It was her beauty. So you are pretty, you are fine, you are weaponizing it to deal with men. Can you allow God use that gift? Don't weaponize it for your own advantage. There are people that like you so that you can get them saved. I didn't say marry them. Oh. There's a difference. I didn't say marry them. But some people like you. Don't be rude. Don't be insulting. 
It's because of a strength and an attraction that they came to you. If you were not attractive, if you were not beautiful, if you didn't call their attention with your beauty, they wouldn't have shown up. Every approach is compliment. Don't you understand? They are telling you you are fine. That's why they came. They are glorifying God in your life. So don't now weaponize it and start making them feel less of themselves. Some people talk to you and they feel less of a man. You will finish them. Say, you was here me. Uh-uh. <laughs> Who are you in the scheme of things? How can you approach me? You approach me without putting yourself. Uh-uh. Are you now God that dwells in an unapproachable light? So you are fine, you are fine. Give glory to God. Don't weaponize it. So what did Absalom do with his beauty? He would stand at the court, outside the court of the temple of, or rather of the palace of the king. And then when people come to see the king, you ask them, what did you come to see the king for? And the beauty was so ah, compelling. They say, I just came to tell him about this issue I'm having with my husband. There's this issue in my land. Da, 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 da. I said, oh, really? I can answer you. The king is busy, you know. I can give you some attention. And he will pay attention to them. They will feel secure in his presence. And that was how he was dividing the entire camp of Israel against his father. After a significant period of time, the whole land was divided into two. A camp for David, another camp for Absalom. A gift had been weaponized. So listen, if you do not submit your gift to God, the devil will weaponize it. He will will turn it to a weapon of mass destruction. Even the devil is a weaponized gift. Hi. Isn't it? The devil himself is a weaponized gift. God gave him a gift. His perversion weaponized it. And he became Satan. Diabolos. Accuser of the brethren. So listen, anyone who is manifesting a gift out there in the world today, God gave them. It's just a weaponized gift. Just a weaponized gift. So every time you personalize a gift, you are giving the devil an opportunity to weaponize it. Because the devil will not, God will not take that gift and say, ah, you are no longer a child of God. Let me remove you from you. No, he's without repentance. He has given you. He's too big for that. Say, <laughs> so, come and give me what I gave you. <laughs> Secondary school that time, you give somebody close to where you borrow them, your, and then you now fight afterwards. You now come back and ah, give me an audit. All the things that I gave you. Some people even do it in breakups now. All the things I bought for you. Yeah, submit it. What's, it. What's that? Get out of my house. The iPhone I gave you, everything. Bring it now. Submit it. <laughs> God doesn't do that. He's not petty. <laughs> God is not petty. If he gives you a gift, he has given you for life. But he expects you to submit it to him. Submit it to his leadership. Don't carry it and say, ah, my gift, my gift. As you continue to say that, the devil will say, ah, it's your gift. He will pervert your heart. Then you will begin to use the gift to do the things you want to do. The things your heart desires to do. One day you will use your status as king to sleep with your comrade's wife. He will weaponize it. He will weaponize it. That said, number what? Five. Stay fly. I like this one. Stay fly, yeah. Stay fly. What that means is stay flexible, light, and yielded. Stay fly. Stay fly. So stay flexible, light, and yielded. Something limited Peter's expression of the gift of God. He was not fly. He was not fly. He was not flexible. He was not light. He was not yielded. John chapter 3 verse 8. Bible says. The spirit of God is like wind. 
And Bible says when the wind blows, you don't know where it's going. It chooses wherever it wants to go. You don't know where it's going. And you can't tell where it's coming from. So is anyone that is born of the spirit. So guess what? Wind deals with densities. So if you are too heavy for the wind, you will stay earthbound. You can't flow with him. Because you are not flexible. You judge people by their appearance. You judge people by how they look. Their economic status. You judge people by their history. They are Gentiles. I've never touched anything that is unclean. You can't be used by God if you have too many stereotypes in your mind. Too many dogmas. Too many historical affiliations. I'm like, I will always be like, this is how I am. All my life, I've never touched anything unclean. The thing you are calling unclean was defined unclean by the God that is now telling you that it has not been redefined. The thing you are saying is unclean. It was God that said it was unclean in the Old Testament. Don't define yourself by something God had left. If God has left it, don't stay there and be redefining yourself by that status. God has already left it. I, I've never touched anything that is unclean in my life. Oh, no, 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 no. I can't eat anything that is unclean. See the struggle in just getting Peter to go to Cornelius. Imagine how quickly Paul would have responded. Who knows that maybe God has anticipated the resistance of Peter. He had to arrest Paul. Because listen, God is a strategic guy. He's strategic. Acts 10 was the conversation with Peter. By Acts 9, God had already arrested Paul. He's too stubborn. He's too rigid. Frigid. He can't move anywhere. What is settled. To steer him like this is work. He can't move. He's not flexible. He's not light. He can't be carried. He's not yielded. He can't be bent. He's just settled. I'm only an apostle to the Jews. I only speak to clean people. Really? So the Gentiles are the unclean. And God has a new dispensation in line for you. He wants you to port to the next dispensation. You are defining yourself by your history. Defining yourself by what God has left. You want to stay in Egypt. You are going to Canaan land. You keep talking about the onions and the cucumbers in Egypt. Even the sepulchers and the graves. Really? God has left that. Yes, he preserved you in Egypt. Yes, there was Goshen in Egypt. Yes, it was a good place for a season. But he's moving you to Canaan. Move along with him. Stay fly. Let God be able to carry you. Don't be too proud. It's pride to be rigid. Be flexible. At the beginning of this church, one thing we shared with the leaders, flexibility of thought, purity of thought. What's the last one? Singleness of thought. You've got to be flexible. We can come tomorrow and say, this is what the Lord is saying. And we move. You don't come and say, oh, well, didn't God say, yes, God can change his mind. Yes. He can. He will say, this is the way today. You go that way because there was something he wanted to get today. Tomorrow he moves. It's a direction. It's a new line. Move along with him. Don't say, this is what you said yesterday. But you said, but you said, can you just move and stop wasting my time? Paul, oh boy, anywhere he's moving already. Peter would still be arguing with God even when he went to, he went grudgingly then he started to preach and just before he finished preaching, the Holy Ghost had taken over. Because guess what? God needed him to do that work that day and Paul was still under scrutiny and then was still being saved. This guy needed to go and pray for him for his eyes to be opened. So there was still going to be some time of studying and learning and becoming an apostle before God could start using Paul at the level that he could use Peter. So Peter was the guy that could have just filled in that gap while 
God was still training Paul. But even at that, the small one walk that God told him to do with the Gentiles, he didn't do a good job. Too resistant. And who knows, maybe God wanted him to start that work and even push it to a significant level before handing over to Paul. Or maybe there was no need for Paul if Peter had done his work. Who knows? But God had to get somebody that was not part of the twelve to commission such a powerful work and did it better than all the twelve combined. Could it be that their Jewish history and pedigree limited their capacity to see the will of God in the generations to come? God had the plan to enter into the Gentile nations. That was the ultimate plan. If it's only the Jews that will be saved, what a tiny fragment of the nations that will be saved. The real plan was the Gentiles. The Gentiles are far more than the Jews. Can you see what God is doing? No, it's only the Jews. Oh. Only the Jews are clean. Every other person is unclean. Ah, he stayed earthbound. He couldn't move beyond a certain scope. But look at what Paul was able to do. Stay fly in your gift. Don't have preconceived ideas and notions about people. You see somebody with dreads. Ah, yahoo, yahoo. God cannot use you. You're always judging people too quickly. Tattoo, hey, tattoo, ah, ah. Come on, be willing, be open, be fly. Tell your neighbor, stay fly. Stay fly. Don't, don't be rigid, earthbound. When you are not fly, you are earthbound. You can't fly with Jesus. You can't fly with the Son of Righteousness. You can't fly with Him. You can't fly. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. Stay fly. Stay fly. And the last thing I'd like to share with you, the sixth thing, is this. Appoint your deacons. Appoint your deacons. It's supernatural the way I've talked this morning. <laughs> Literally supernatural. Supernatural. Appoint your deacons. Appoint your deacons. See, that's why you have to enter into your office by faith. Like I told you, what I'm doing right now is supernatural. I wouldn't have thought that I'll be able to teach without visiting my notes throughout the entire session, but the Holy Spirit brings it to my remembrance. And you even bring, you know, illustrations, examples that I couldn't have imagined while writing the notes. You need to trust God in the execution of your office. You need to trust God. You need to trust God. You need to trust God. You can't perform official duties in old garments. You can't perform official duties in old garments. You have to change your garments. Bible says, put it therefore on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh. When you enter into your office, you are acting in the capacity of the Christ. By faith, enter into that office. You can't perform official duties in old garments with your old idiosyncrasies and ideas and ideologies and history and personality types. Say, I'm choleric. This is how I am. And God wants you to be sanguine for a moment. You can't be. You are not fly. You are not fly. Enter by faith. Do what the word of God and the will of God has ordained and called you to do. And do it with grace. Amen. Number six, appoint your deacons. Appoint your deacons. So you see the way Peter handled the situation of the Greek who were complaining about how they were not being served. In Acts 6, that's how you should treat your life. It was a revelation the Holy Spirit showed me. Appoint your deacons. So what did Peter say? He says, no, we will not now live the most important things of our lives and begin to serve tables. So he said, appoint amongst yourself deacons full of faith, the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Let them go and serve the tables. We will not depart from our responsibilities, core responsibilities of the word and prayer. 
in your life, appoint your diggings. Several things, Greek women will come to your life to try and distract you from the most important thing, the word of God and prayer. Your diggings may be a to-do list. Your deacons may be a personal assistant, an executive assistant. Your deacon may be an intern. Appoint your deacons in your life. Don't let anything stifle your time with the word and prayer. Don't let it. Once something is beginning to stifle your attention to the word of God and prayer, it's killing your ministry already. It's killing your gift already. It's killing your calling already. It's already stifling you. Because Peter sensed it. This is a good thing, but it's not an essential thing right now. It's a good thing. Listen. People don't get distracted by nonsensicals. They don't really get distracted by things that are absolutely unnecessary. Those things are usually good things, noble things, quote-unquote important things, but relative to the word of God and prayer, they're not comparables. Feeding the Greek women was good. At least, you know, welfare package, you know, outreaches, do these things, it's okay. But listen, if those things overwhelm you to such a degree you can't pay attention to the word of God, you can't pray anymore, you're not meditating in scripture, that is too much of a distraction. Appoint your deacons. So even in your workplace, appoint your deacons. In your personal life, appoint your deacons. In your family life, appoint your deacons. It may be tools, it may be a technology tool. Like for example, what I told you to download that will be checking your social media time. That's if you even if you have that weakness in the first place, you need something that can be checking it every night. Check how long did I spend on social media today? Two, three hours. Uh-huh. How long did I spend praying and studying my Bible? Ah, uh-huh. that's a deacon giving you a report. Yes, yeah. sir. Today, you spent five hours on Facebook, three hours on Twitter. Uh-huh. When a deacon gives you such a report, what do you do? You have you evaluate, you review, you adjust. The next day, you ensure that you don't spend that more time on social media. You need to appoint your deacons in your personal life so you can be more useful for the things of God. Listen, at a level of ministry, only one thing is needful. Did you hear what I just said? Paul said, one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind. Jesus told Mary, one thing is needful. There must be one thing about your life. What's that one thing? Oh, there's so many things. Seven tables, attending to Greek women, trying to solve a widow's problem, and word and prayer, suffering. No, don't let them suffer. Appoint your deacons. Last week we talked about how that word and prayer is like light and water. No matter the seed that is in you, you need these two elements to flourish. So word and prayer must not cease in your life. Bible says concerning the temple that the light must not go out. The fire must not go out. In your life too, the fire must not go out. Night or day, meditate in the word day and night. Light must not go out. Prayer must not go out. Meditating in the word does not go out. It shouldn't go out. Appoint your deacons to soft pedal all the other areas of your life. Delegate responsibilities. I won't be doing the things that I'm doing if I don't learn how to delegate, both at work and in church, so that I can pay attention to the things that matter. In your life, too, deconstruct the concepts and appoint your deacons. Praise the name of the Lord. Are you blessed? This is an apostolic message. All right, so let me just read out the evangelist to you so that um, we don't spend much time. The evangelist is a minister running around with a timer. Did you hear that? As far as the evangelist is concerned, Jesus is coming tomorrow. There is that impetus. There is that urgency. There is no time. 
So an evangelist is a minister of God running around with a timer. He knows the time is short and is consumed by the will of the Father to have all men saved and come to the saving knowledge of truth. He's not keen about cleaning the fish. He just wants to catch them. Did you hear what I said? An evangelist is not concerned so much about cleaning the fish, ensuring the fish is nice and pretty. He just wants to catch the fish. All right? And then pass the fish on. Of all the ministry gifts, the evangelist typically records the most notable miracles, signs and wonders in their meetings. Because signs and wonders are, the, are God's PR system of inviting unbelievers. Evangelists also record the highest records of souls saved amongst the five. Their job is to get souls in and not keep souls in. Did you hear that? Their job is to get souls in and not necessarily keep souls in. That's the role of the pastor and the teacher. Evangelists often preach simplistic and philosophical messages that make people question the state of their lives and be faced with the reality of heaven and hell. Their teachings often use emotional means to stimulate decisions for Christ. So when you listen to an evangelist, you just want to make a decision. You don't necessarily need to understand everything he's saying, but your heart is moved. He will use stories. He will give illustrations. He will use mediums that will make you want to give your heart to Jesus. And while I was studying, the Holy Ghost made it clear to me that movie makers are evangelists. They will use drama, prose, all these things to push an agenda for Christ. Make, you, make your heart so, you know, repentant. You want to cry and just get teared up in his presence and repentant, broken in ashes. And you just say, you know what? I rededicate my heart to you. Many of these Mount Zion movies are evangelistic in their approach. You may not understand righteousness through them. You may not understand the gift of the Spirit through them. But once you watch those gifts, you just want to get close to God. You just want to love him. You just want to rededicate your heart. You just want to give your life to Jesus. They may not be grabbing a mic and creating crusade platforms with speakers and all of that. But with those movie production sets that they do, they are evangelizing the world. So if your gift is to create movies, you're an evangelist. Praise the name of the Lord. Their teachings often use emotional means to stimulate decisions for Christ. They don't have time to establish. They only come to stimulate you and get you to make a decision for Christ. Most Christian movie makers are evangelists. Every evangelist needs a pastor. The work of an evangelist requires accountability with a local base and a lot of funding from the local assembly and faithful partners as well. Evangelists are people, lovers, and very adaptable. So an evangelist does not have a food he does not eat. Say, so I don't eat is a lie. If you are an evangelist, you must be very open to all kinds of cultures and traditions. You have eaten all kinds. When you were in Togo, when you were in Ghana, when you were in Nigeria, you go to you can eat anything. You can sleep under all kinds of conditions. You are very adaptable. You can't be an evangelist and be tush. You've got to be rugged. You're a missionary. That's why we called it rural rugged in NCCF. You've got to be rugged. You can't be saying, oh, I don't use hot, I don't use cold water to bath. Oh, you know those things. You go for rural rugged, you say, can we boil, boil water here? Have the bad day under a leaf. Uh -huh. That's evangelist. Yes. A missionary. You can't have everything pretty for you all the time. An evangelist needs a strong wife. If you're a man. And if you're a woman, you need a strong husband who can take care of the home front as well. Did you hear that? Because they're always on the road. Amen. They don't get attached to places or people. Evangelists need fund and prayer sponsorship. They need fund and prayer sponsorship. So if you're an evangelist, you will need partners. You need people to fund what you're doing. It's expensive to go on mission trips. It's expensive. So if you find an evangelist around you, 
empathize and give to them. Many of them suffer on the mission fields. If they come to you and tell you their stories, you will be shocked. Some evangelists die on mission fields. Do you know how many of them died of malaria when they came to Nigeria? Before the gospel came here fully? They were the ones that sponsored the gospel into these regions. Many of them died of malaria. Malaria, just malaria. Many of those white people, because they didn't understand mosquito. <laughs> they came here and the team finished all of them. Oh, well, most of them. Praise the name of the Lord. And so evangelists are just people who have jettisioned living a normal life, really. They've jettisioned it. They're not interested in the things that get most people in, you know, excited. They just want to do the will of the Father, go for mission works, because they're so consumed by eternity. Amen. One of the greatest challenges of an evangelist will be a false sense of accomplishment based on numbers. Because evangelists are very numbers driven, they can have a false sense of accomplishment. Oh, I've gotten 100 people saved. I've gotten 200 people saved. They should also be committed to ensuring that those people are entering into establishing structures like a church, a local assembly, a ministry that can establish those people they have saved. Because you can save 1,000 at the end of five years, only 10 are saved. The same 1,000, simply because there was no establishing structure. So every evangelist should ensure that he's handing over every saved decision. He's handing them over to a pastor or a teacher. That's why an evangelist would always need to be partners with other local assemblies. He would need partnerships of all kinds. Personal partnerships in funding and then local assembly partnership in establishing saints. So you go to a region, look for a church there that you can trust. So that at the end of the crusade, you can transfer the harvest into that church. Praise the name of the Lord. Alright, so they are significantly driven by numbers, but they must beware so that they don't become obsessed with those numbers. Because evangelists are always on the move, they will need a great deal of integrity, self-control, and accountability. Because where you are going, I mean, people don't really know you. They don't understand your faith. You can go there and begin to misbehave. So you have got to be strong with integrity, self-control, accountability. Stay pure. Because you're always on the move. So temptations would abound. If you're an evangelist, you're going from house to house, hotel to hotel, place to place. Sometimes you've not been home in six months to see your wife. And then temptations abound. So you've got to stay pure through integrity, self-control, and accountability. An evangelist needs a very strong and supportive spouse who can take care of the home front while he or she is away. Who's an evangelist here? Yeah. <laughs> Mika is an evangelist. I told you. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. Are you blessed this morning? Can you rise to your feet and just give thanks for the gift of God that is upon your life? Give thanks for that gift. Give thanks for that gift. Give thanks for the gift of God that is upon your life. Give thanks. Give thanks. It's a gift of grace and can only be appropriated by faith. Give thanks. Give thanks. And also pray to him that, Lord, lead me to my path. Many of us, as I'm teaching these things, nothing is really resonating because the Holy Ghost is not pointing, pointing them to you. Can you pray right now and say, Lord, point me in the right path. Point me in the right direction. Connect me with a mentor. Teach me. Guide me in this path of destiny, please, Lord. Speak to him this morning. 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 Because there's no point living this life if you will not declare the works of the Lord in the land of the living. There is a work you have been called to declare. There is a work you've been called to declare. Declare that work. Ask him to guide you. And he will. Father, we give you praise and we give you glory. We ask that you establish this once in your truth and in all righteousness in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's celebrate Jesus this morning. Wow, what a word. 
For more messages, connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms at Powerpoint Tribe.